I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. We'll continue our study of living liberated. This is number six in a series. Living liberated. John chapter 8 and verse 31, I'm sure you're all familiar with this. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God intended for us not only to be set free, but to stay free. The Bible has far too much to say to Christians about what the devil is doing to bind them again, that we have to give heed to what he's saying. In other words, just because we've been set free, we read in the Bible that Jesus bore all of this and set us free and spoiled principalities and triumphed over it all. It says that. But that doesn't mean that because he did that, we don't have anything else to do about living free in this world because we have an adversary that goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Well, if he couldn't devour us, then why would he even say that? That we do have to be cautious and sober and circumspect. We do have to give the more earnest heed to the things that we're saying. We still have to live by faith. Nothing has changed about how we live in a world that's alien to us. Our adversary is called the prince of the power of the air, the one who lurks in the darkness to try to snare you, to mislead you, to tempt you, and then to regain control. The Bible says don't give place to the devil. And it's easy to do because it's evident by how many Christians are in bondage. They're bound by a lot of things. Some are bound by traditions. Some are bound by ancestral spirits. But they're bound. Because they don't know anything. They haven't been taught. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth has the power to make you free. Free. We were made free to stay free. Now, I've said so far, to stay liberated, which is what free means, if you want to stay free, first of all, you have to guard your mind. Your mind is a battlefield. It's where you think. It's how you figure things out. You figure wrong, you'll do wrong. As a man thinketh, so is he. So you have to guard your mind, the things you think about. You have to learn to bring every thought captive to Christ, especially when you're hearing so many things that you're not sure of. There has to be a living word on the inside of you, something in here that gives a minus or a plus to what you're hearing. You've got to be able to do that, and a lot of people can't because they haven't been putting anything in. You can't bring a thought into obedience to Christ if you don't know what Christ has said. So you have to know that. Now, we've already gone through all of that, and second thing we said and been dealing with for about three weeks, you have to guard your mouth. See, your mouth is hooked up to your heart. To guard your mouth is to guard your heart. And the Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence. It says to set a watch before my mouth and guard the door of my lips, lest I sin against thee. And through the mouth, it's easy to sin, to say things we shouldn't say, to be snared by the words of our mouth or be trapped or entrapped by the words of our mouth. And we have to be careful and cautious. If we didn't have to be, it wouldn't be any reason for it to say that. Remember we said in Matthew 12, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he says, what you say identifies the kind of tree you are. I don't care where you go to church and who you're sitting under or how many tapes you've listened to and how many world fairs you've gone to. Conventions. It's what's in your heart that's going to determine the path of your life, whether or not you're judged favorably or adversely. You've got to be careful with what you say. And then today, I want to deal with this, and you've got to guard your faith. You've got to guard your faith. Some people assume that because they go to church, they have faith. Well, the Bible defines faith differently than just the ability to believe that you put two quarters in a Coke machine and hit the right button, that the pop will just come out. I mean, anybody can believe that, but it takes faith to do that, doesn't it? I don't know what it costs today. Maybe it's four quarters. But you wouldn't put your money in a Coke machine if you weren't sure it was going to work. What would you do if you were in a foreign country and it was all in some other language? Would you put your money in there anyway? Well, no, you're not sure if that's exactly the instructions on that machine. You can't have faith in what you don't know. You have to know something to have faith. But just because you know something doesn't mean you believe it. I've been around too many years and too many places and watched too much in my life to know that just because we have been well taught, then we are believers. That hadn't been true. It should be true. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Not academically. Anybody can sit in a class and learn or go somewhere and learn a lot of heady things. That doesn't mean they believe it. It means they've learned it. They can quote the Bible. They can tell you what the Bible says. They can study the Bible. That doesn't mean you believe it. And you have to realize that God requires us to walk by faith. He doesn't give us an option to that. He said, the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. The rebuke to Peter, oh, you have little faith. And faith, 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 all through the New Testament. He that comes to God must believe that he is. He must also believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Many Christians I've met aren't sure if God will do anything, he said. But he said, we must believe. You have to have that drilled. You have to hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it. And you have to love it and desire it and want it and realize you need it. Because until you realize you're poor in spirit and you need what God has for you, chances are you're not going to receive it as a precious treasure. And if you don't, then you won't believe it. You'll be able to say, well, I know the Bible, but that doesn't mean that you believe it. See, a lot of people hear the word and never comprehend it. By his stripes were healed. And then their mind starts thinking like, well, if we're healed, how is it that so many people aren't? If we're to be prosperous, why is it that so many people aren't? If we're supposed to be joyful, why is it that so many people aren't? It says so in the Bible. But you keep reading, it'll tell you that there are conditions that are attached to that promise. By his stripes, you are healed. But many times God gives you something to do to demonstrate that you believe that. Sometimes just go show yourself to the priest to be healed of leprosy. And as they went, they were healed, but they had to do something. It's not just reading something and memorizing something and going to church and hearing about the Bible. But like in our text, John 8, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, it obviously implies knowing is applying the word. You shall know the truth, not just memorize the truth. Say, yeah, I heard that. I heard that. I heard that. that doesn't fix anything. 
But he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Which means that what the truth I'm hearing is received as truth. This is the word of God. It will work. God has spoken, and I believe it. And therefore, I'm taking him at his word that if he said it so, it is. God doesn't speak aimlessly to anybody. God doesn't say anything he cannot do. He says nothing he is unwilling to do. But just because we have heard that and we are good students and listening to the word doesn't mean that we automatically believe it or that we're going to trust it. In fact, so many times we hear it and then we wonder why it doesn't work. Because we heard it, but it doesn't work that way. There is no other way that I have found in my life in 40-plus years and proven God many, many times in my life, Bonnie and I both. I have found no other way, and I searched this week. Is there any other way a man can live liberated other than by faith? He that comes to God must believe that he is. I can't see him. I can't hear him. I can't reach out and touch him. We cannot have a face-to-face conversation. He is there. I have to believe. I have to take him at his word. If he said he would do it, then I have to believe that he will do it. But there's more to it than just believing that he will. I must believe that he'll do it for me. I have to guard my faith. Otherwise, I'll go to church and think, well, I go to church and I hear sermons, therefore it ought to work. Why isn't it working for me? Because I have to believe. And if there's one thing the devil fights overtime at, it's to keep you from believing by putting thoughts in your mind. Well, then, if that's true, why did Grandma die? Why did that happen? Why did the divorce go through? Or why did the business? Or why did the... Why, why, why? thousand whys. And we'll begin to think, well, it must be because maybe he won't do it after all. No, he can't lie. He's not a man that he should lie. If he said it, he'll do it. Just this week, I went through something, and and I sat down and said, I want to make this clear. I've done this a thousand times. But it's just as meaningful now and as much now as it was 30 years ago. I said, now I want to tell you, devil, that the Bible says, now this is what God does. This is what he said he will do. This is his word to me. Now, if he said he will do it, then he will do it. All he requires of me is to believe it. Now, therefore, I'm going to mix my faith with this word like he said. He said the word doesn't profit some people because they don't mix faith with it. Faith meaning I'm going to take God at his word, accept as true what he has said, and count on him to do it. I can't make it true. My faith doesn't make the word true. The word's true whether I believe it or not. But what I'm going to do is put myself in agreement with the Lord. I'm going to take him at his word. Now, if he said, I am, I am. I may not feel like I am. I may not look like I am. I may not sound like I am. I may not a thousand things like I am. But I am because he said so. Now, you know that. Remember the condition Jesus said in Mark 11, 20-something? 24, that's it. What things ever you desire. What a blanket statement. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe. When you pray, believe. Believe that you have received it. You don't need a vision or a sign to verify that. 
He just says it's between you and God and his word. When you pray, believe. Believe that what he said, that he has done it for you. He didn't say you'd feel better, look better, sound better. He said, but believe. You got to believe that your circumstances are going to change. You got to believe that the money will come in or the wife or the husband or the child or the situation or whatever it is in your life. God didn't say some things are not. He said, what things ever you desire. So you come to him and said, Lord, I want some relief. I want some relief. You said, I don't know what to do. That's what Jehoshaphat said. Remember when he was about to be invaded? He said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You told Solomon that whenever something happened, if it was famine or invasion, whatever it was, you said, come to this house and cry unto you, and you said you would hear us. Now, here we are. We cried. We don't know what to do, but our eyes upon you because you cannot lie. If you said it, you'll do it. Therefore, I rest my case and let God be true. You got to guard that because what do you have in your Christian life? What do you have besides that? What do you replace faith with? Faith is a relationship. He that comes to God must believe. I can't relate to God any other way. He just said, he that comes must believe. I didn't see the cross. I've been there. It was gone, but I've seen the places over there in Israel. I was in a tomb. I don't know if that was the right one or not. I spoke in tongues in it just to make my little 10 cents worth being there. I can't prove this book is true, nor can you. It's been copied so many times. No original autographs. It's been copied and recopied. But I have to believe that God is able to preserve his word. And as it's handed down to me, and the oldest and most reliable one I can think of is the King James. There's many other translations. I'm not an expert there. Don't want to be. But this one goes back towards the beginning where it was real. That's good enough. But I can't prove this is true. I based my whole life years ago. I surrendered things that made me look like a fool to people I knew. You know what it was like. We just gave ourselves over to trusting God for things that had never happened and nobody had ever seen happen that he would do it. God's going to give me a car. Well, where's he been? God's going to heal. God's going to do this. Give me a house. Now, I've had several of them. Things that you're praying for and you're leaning on God about that people think you're nuts because they just don't see how that could be. As I've said before, I claimed a house. I had no job. I had no church support me. Everything that came into my life was traveling. And people weren't always that generous. Sometimes they were, but not always. But it didn't matter. You're not depending on people. You're depending on God. And God honored that. I'm telling you, he's honored that. It's my privilege to teach you the same thing. Just to keep drilling you with this, that this is what God honors. It's not so much how many missionary fields you've been on or how much you labor. That's wonderful. And people that do that are treasures. 
It's not how many hours you spend in the building and helping people. That's good too. But that doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't find what you need from God. It's faith. A simple taking God at his word. That if God said it, then I will count on him to do it. If he said it, that's what he said. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Now, bear with me to show you how faith is important and how you've got to have it and guard it. Follow me for just a little bit through scriptures that you're all familiar with. Start with Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 and 32. Luke 22 and verse 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, the devil hath desired thee that he may sift thee as wheat. Or the devil has obtained thee that he may sift thee as wheat. Now we're talking about living liberator. Isn't that the title? If you're not sure, stop the machine and take the disc out and see what's on the front of it. Because it should say living liberator. Now, our obstacle to liberation is the work of the devil. Mentally, verbally, and in this case, to prevent you from being secure in what you believe. To make you uncertain. To make you a little hesitant. Or to make you put faith in a realm where, well, you know, that's not the big deal. It is a big deal now. When the Lord comes, the question he asks, when the Lord returns, will he find faith? So he said, Simon, Simon, behold, the devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now, of all the things that we could think of that are noble virtues for Christians, faith wouldn't be the first one for most people. It'd be something else. But Jesus said, you're going to have some hard times. You're going to feel like it isn't going to work anymore, that everything's against you, there's no results, and nothing's better. But he said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Because that's what the devil attacks. Listen to me. The one thing that God gave you that turns night into day is faith. The one thing that turns your circumstances around, that opens gates and opens doors, finds favor and grace with God, is faith. And again, faith is your willingness. It's just simple. It's your willingness, your personal choice, your willingness to count on God to do what he said. You don't know when he didn't say, when he didn't even say exactly how, but having done all, you're supposed to stand. That's all you know to do. And you wait, and you let him do it. Because God can do anything. There is nothing too hard for him. And he says, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's what you got. That's what I've given you. This is what works. Be it unto you according to what? Your faith. That's right. Now turn to First Peter 5. Go back in the back and look at verse 8. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 talks about your adversary. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
I'll tell you one thing he's looking for. He's looking to devour the redeemed. He wants to. He doesn't come against you and say, oh, you've been saved. Well, I can't touch you. He comes against you. You can receive another spirit. You can believe in another Jesus because the devil has all ways to come against you. But he says, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And here's what you do. This is what you do. Whom resist, how? Steadfast in the faith. Resist steadfast. Now that means you don't run. You're in a war. You don't run from your enemy. You've been warned. You've been told that he is coming. You're not off limits. Jesus wasn't either. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. We're told in Hebrews 12 to strive against sin as he did to the shedding of our blood. We resist. Some of you have caved in way too easy through the years. You gave up too easy. It was easy to take over. You got to have this resolve on the inside of you that this, what God has given me is a treasure. His word is his power. This is what God uses to change things, is his word. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is what? The power of God. To whom? To those who believe. Or what do you say in Ephesians 1? Talks about that you may know his Power, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and the exceeding greatness of his power to us. There's nothing he has given us more potent than his word. Because that's the only thing in time and history that God has ever watched over to perform. Not emotions, not intentions and good wishes and goodwill, but he watches over his word. That's what he performs. That's why you can count on him to do what he said. But the devil wants you to draw back and say, well, now you're not ready for that. Well, now that's a little bit over your head, don't you think? Well, how many of you know used to believe like that and they've all gone? As though that has to be. I've known more than any of y'all have that have quit. I've seen too many people quit. That doesn't mean I'm going to quit. This word is supposed to have eternal meaning to us. It's what we value. When you seek, you find, and you can't find a treasure better than this one, the word of God. It's, again, the only thing that God said he watches over to do. And he invites us to come to him to hear his word like Mary did and sat at his feet and hear his word. And he said about that, he said, only one thing in life is necessary. One thing is necessary, and that's to hear the word. I can think of this morning as a teacher, an exhorter, a teacher, whatever I am. I can think of no call that's more important than to impart the word of God. Because that's the only thing Jesus said will make you free. The only thing he said he will watch over. The only thing you can be sure of that he will do is the word. I can't make you believe it. I can only tell you what it says, and then it's up to you. You can walk away from it. Many do. Or you can hold fast to it. You can struggle with it because there will be a struggle. The devil doesn't want you to believe. 
or you can hold on and God will bring you through. But like he said, whom resists steadfast, steadfast in the faith. Steadfast. Remember the verse in 2 Timothy 1, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them who are his. Well, the word sure is the same as the word steadfast. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God standeth sure. It's not going anywhere. It is fixed. That's how you fight the devil. You can't see him. You just know what he's doing. You know what he's saying. You know you can feel what he's trying to bring. All you can do is fight. But you can't fight with words because our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is an unseen enemy. You have to fight with words. You have to believe. You have to take God at his word. Again, the devil tries to tell you, well, I've seen people try that and it didn't work. See, you're going to lose what you got, even though you're a Christian. Again, I said to repeat myself, and after all these years, I found nothing more absolutely consoling than the freedom and the wonderful grace-given gift of believing God. It's the one thing he holds me to. When the Son of Man returns, will he find me believing? Will he find me believing? Will he find you believing? Or just talking about it? James chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, resist. Resist the devil. The word resist is another word which means a firmness. Sterizo. It's a word being standing firm. Now, we've got two passages here. That tells us that when it comes to warfare, we're to fight the devil steadfastly. We're to resist without a desire to run. We're so sure that God is in control and that the victory he has promised is ours. Just like Jehoshaphat, I'm not running from a million of them. Didn't even have his weapons. He went out there and faced all of those armies, those three armies, and began to praise the Lord. God told him to. And they killed each other. They were beside themselves. And they didn't have to fight. They never lost a single soldier. There wasn't a mother crying in all of Israel that day because nobody had to fight and die. They killed themselves. Folks, God has given to his people a treasure chest of power. It's all in his word. It's a simple word. You just have to believe it. You just have to take it to your heart and say, this is what God is saying to me. This is what I can count on him to do. You've got to make sure you got that. And all you're getting and all you're going and all you're doing, make sure you've got that. That you know in whom you have believed. We'll get to that in a minute. And that you are persuaded that he is able and so forth. Now. If you'll follow me also to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, if you don't have a Bible, I'll just tell you what it says. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. See, fight is what a man does in a battle. If a man's in a battle, he fights. He's not in a battle if he runs. You're not in a battle if you fold up and close up and go home and tuck your tail and you cry and whine. It don't work. <laughs> that's not fight. That's crying. So I'm not much of a fighter. I doubt if any of us are. 
But all you have to do is fight as best you know how to do. God will finish it for you. There's only so much we can do, but He is the one who's the finisher. I can't run. God knows there's been a time or two I wanted to. There's been a time or two I think I had my hackles up against God. I remember one time I repented, but I remember one time saying, you know, if I was you, I wouldn't let this go on all night long like this. If I had what you've got, this would be done right now. I'd be done. I'd be in bed. Bless my heart. But I learned. It wasn't an easy road to learn, but learning lessons in life that teach you how to trust God and be still are good lessons. They're good lessons. When he said fight, the good fight of faith, the word fight comes from the Greek word, which we get our word agonize, agonizo. How do you like that? The English word agonize comes from it, and it has to do with the struggle. It's used in Luke 13 where it says strive. Remember the word strive to enter in at the narrow gate? Because not everybody will make it, but you've got to strive. Well, the word strive is the same as our word fight. The same word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about the marathon runner. It talks about every man that striveth for the mastery. The runners who want to win the crown, they train to the point of tears and painful moments and because they got to push themselves. You're not running in a race to come in second. You're running to win. You're not running to get a T-shirt. You're running to win. You're not running to be on the evening news as those walking by. You're running to win. You're living to win. I don't want to come in second. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be anything but what God has called me to be. And I am perfectly happy doing it. I really am. This is better than I deserve. This is all I want to do. This is it. And. He's promised us that if we will fight the good fight of faith, that we will win. If we will strive, if we will endeavor. I tell you what, go to Ephesians 6. This is the best one. If we will strive and struggle and fight to win, we will. I can tell you there are people out there somewhere in your life, somebody you're going to run into in your life, just about all of you that needs to hear encouraging, victorious words that you're going to speak to them. And the only way you're going to speak victorious words to anybody and encourage anybody is to win the battle yourself. Even like Paul said, you know, we despaired even of hope. Remember the time he was about to go down in the ship and he said, we're done. He said, but God brought us through to show us that it's not by man, but it's by God. And praise God. Somebody out there who is struggling right now. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood, in your family. Somebody that just is really being wore out by the devil. What a comfort it would be for somebody who has battled in life and won. Scarred, but a winner. Can draw alongside to somebody and encourage them. 
Not just quote the Bible. That's good. That's what God uses. But to be able to say, I have lived it. I put it to practice. I know it works because it worked for me. As you look back at all those Ebenezer stones of the past, ever how many years you've been a Christian, you look back at all these experiences and stones from your beginning up there all those many years to right now. And you look at all the many times in your life, and oh boy, that was rough. But look at here, he brought us through, and this worked, and that worked, and this worked, and that worked, and oh, we lost it all, and this is going, and everything. It just turned out. I can stand here today and encourage any of you. I know. I'm not just preaching, I'm telling you the truth. I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced, as much as I know. I can't just believe anything and everything. I'm not sure there's some things. I don't know what I would believe. I've never been there. But where I have been, I can tell you that God is able and God is willing. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Look at this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What is it? I would love to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What is his might? Does anybody have a clue as to what the might of the Lord is? In what way has God expressed his power? Let's take creation. How did God create the world? Well, he went... (sighs) No, how did he create the world? He spoke a word. How did he do anything? He spoke a word. How did Lazarus come out of the tomb? Jesus didn't get red in the face, the vein on his neck, and he was just sitting there shaking and vibrating. He just simply said, Lazarus, come forth. He yelled it out. I don't want to scare anybody, but he said, Lazarus, come forth. Did he come out? I don't think he came out instantly. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And the rock just broke into it. He come out of there like Superman. I don't believe that. But I believe he said, Lazarus, come forth. Everybody, you know, you see anything yet? Uh-uh. It ain't going to work then, is it? Uh-uh. I don't know. You see anything? No. Well, he yelled loud enough. That ought to work. I mean, surely anybody could hear that. I don't know why he ain't coming out yet. You know what I think Jesus did? I think he stood there and somebody said, say it again, say it again. I think he just stood there. Because he knew what he said would work. You see, I believe that he believed. I believe he said Lazarus, but he had to mention him by name because there's a lot of dead people in there. Didn't want them all out, just the one. Lazarus, come forth. And he was all wrapped up, and the Bible said he came out. He was, you know, I don't know how he got out. I wasn't there. But if he was wrapped up where he was, he maybe just come out like this. I don't know. But he did say what? Come on, loose him. He said, loose him and what? Let him go. So they, he was probably bound. That's the power of the word. Don't you think? Peter and John, remember the gate called Beautiful? Begging for alms, and he said, what do you want? He said, what do you think I want? No, he didn't talk like that then. Looked down at him, and he said, I don't have any silver and gold. 
not yet. This word's still fresh. We haven't gotten there yet, but I don't have any silver and gold. But such as I have, I give to you. And then he spoke a word. He just spoke a word. He didn't yell at him. He didn't say, I said get up. He just spoke a word. Don't you think that's what we do? And yet sometimes we're afraid it might not work. We're just a little hesitant to go that far. Do you ever speak in your home to your house? I told you how I embarrassed my kids one time talking to my garden. Some of their friends said, what's your dad doing? And one of them looked over and said, he's talking to the garden. Really? I didn't tell him I sometimes would sing to it because I heard music was good for plants. I, I sat there talking to my garden. In Jesus' name, all y'all going to grow this year, and the rabbits ain't going to get you, and you're going to be good, and everything's going to work good here. I rebuke all you weeds. <laughs> they didn't listen, but I, I rebuked them. And they think that's nuts. I couldn't find things. Do you ever lose your keys, your wallet, you can't find them all in the same week? devil's behind it as far as I'm saying, no, sir, read Jesus' name, you get out of this house. I'm not going to have that losing stuff, can't find it, spirit. Or the kids that have nightmares or dreams or things. Pray. So many things that your faith will work for, we just don't use it. Because something is lacking in your willingness to believe that it's going to work that way. That's why you got to guard it. It's a treasure, folks. The Bible says not all men have faith. Look at verse 11. Finally, brethren, he said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, which is his word. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Sometimes that's all you can do. The battle is raging and there's nothing more you can do. You got the armor on, you're equipped. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, not against that neighbor. It's not against some hoodlums over in the foreign countries, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who we're fighting. And because of that, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able, second time, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And he says it again, stand therefore. And he tells you how to do it. And then in verse 16, what we're talking about, and above all. Now, above all is a lot because you're including a lot of armor here. But above all, he said, take the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of Satan. I would assume then that every attack that the enemy brings is likened unto a fiery dart, a burning moment, fiery trials Peter spoke of. Think it not strange concerning fiery trials. These are darts. These are the attempts of the devil to throw something at you to cause you to give up, turn away, or quit. That's what he wants you to do. And he throws these darts at you, and the Bible says you have one thing. You have one thing which will quench every one of them. He calls it the shield of faith. 
Now, the shield of faith is not a garbage can lid. It's more like a door. It's a big shield. You've probably seen movies where they could get behind these shields when the arrows are flying and all of that. It's a shield. It covers you. The equipment that God has given his people is the best there is. Our weapons are more than adequate for any kind of battle that we're facing. Money battles, physical battles, honey battles, or uh, domestic battles, whatever kind of battle we're facing. The Word of God, which brings us faith, faith comes by hearing. He says that the shield of faith is more than adequate to quench every fiery dart in your life in this room this morning. If any of you have been crying this week about your situations or about this or about that, did you know that you have something to eliminate crying? Of course we're tempted to cry. It's a natural thing to do. But there's also something else that you can do. You can turn your frown upside down. You can smile. You can count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing, like Peter said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God didn't encourage you to walk this way to let you down and let go of you. You can walk wherever you have to walk, engage in any enemy you want to engage in, and you don't have to lose. Because he said the shield will quench every fiery dart. And I can think of some situations, marriage situations, in which your mind in the natural sense, that's an enemy in itself, a natural mind. Which your mind begins to tell you that, boy, this, I don't know, this one here is tough. Wow, this little time thing here, this stopwatch. Let's play like this is tough. This is what tough is. And so the devil slides tough over into your life. And then he tells you, now based on reason, logic, common sense, this is an unfixable situation. You know, she told him, and you know what he told her, and you know, and this is going on, and the, and the kids, and, and then there's the money, and then the, the, what are we going to do about You know, it, it just looks like a total disaster. That's tough. Are you looking at that? I ain't making fun of it because it, it is tough. I mean, it is something that nobody in this room ever wants to face. But some people have to. So here's what you do. You go up to tough, and you said, I like to talk to you. I'd like to introduce you to a shield. Because what you're doing here hurts. What you're doing here really, it hurts. It burns deep in, in a family's life. And a lot of people are getting hurt. And a lot of people are getting mad at each other. They're wanting to fight and take sides and who's right and who's wrong. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I'd like to introduce you to the Word of God. Now, here's what the Bible says. And if you know what the Bible says, you speak it. You can speak to mountains, you can speak to the sick, you can speak to the dead, well, you can speak to trouble. Say, trouble, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I command you to let go of him, I command you to let go of her, and all those vile, unclean, twisted spirits that are saying all of this stuff, and all the mental junk that you've thrown, I rebuke every bit of this, and I command you to let go of this in Jesus' name. Now, he just sits there. But you hold on. Father, I want to thank you today in Jesus' name that, uh, praise God, I got a phone call. Everything's fine. Everything's restored. Can that, wait a minute, whoa, whoa. Now, are we, is this just preaching? Are we making this up or is it possible? 
then why in the thunder don't we do it? Why do we want to sit around and talk about everybody's hardships? Why do we want to sit around and discuss this or that? Why is it that we don't take our faith and apply it and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, now you've said in your word, that's what Jesus did when the devil came against him. He said, it is written. It is written. I said, it is written. And God who watches over his word to perform it honored that word. Folks, our weapons are greater than the devil's. Our victory is greater in its dimension. When you have a victory, it accelerates your spiritual growth. It makes you realize that not only is God for you, but he is with you. But you got to fight. What if the America's soldiers probably got the best fighting force, the best military force in the world? I believe we do. What if our soldiers went onto the battlefield? I think we have the best equipment. I think we got the best guns and more of them. We got the best tanks and more of them. Got the best all that stuff, more of them, and all that kind of stuff, and the best training and the best smartest soldiers. And what if we put all of that over there and said, now here's what's going to happen. You got an enemy that's going to come at you this way and that way. This is the way he fights. Now this is what I want you to do. I want you to conquer him. Well, do we not fight because we're equipped to fight? Do the soldiers not fight because they said they would? Did they not join? They weren't drafted. They joined. They said, you want to fight? I do. Okay, here's your weapons. Here's your equipment. Here's the man who's going to teach you how to mine, the, the drill sergeant and all the training. They're going to show you how to present yourself and how to act, how to take orders, in other words. Let's say that they go over there and begin to fight, and here comes the army. What's our army supposed to do when they engage another army? Well, no, no. You get your cell phone out and call mom. (laughs) Mama. No. What do you do? What do you do? You fight. I mean, you fight. You've got the stuff. You've been trained how to fight. Your weapons are better than their weapons. You don't run. You fight. You engage your enemy. You see yourself as having greater power than your enemy has, and you use that power. That's what we do spiritually. We're not fighting somebody coming, running down a hill hollering at us, or somebody in a bush dressed up in a carpet. We're fighting somebody. We're fighting somebody that we can't see, but we're warned about him, how he works and what he does, and we can see the evidence of what the devil is doing everywhere. So we draw our sword. We get our shield out and said, now, in the name of Jesus, you're not going to do that to me. And here comes a dart. Here comes another dart. They're burning. Boom. But they go out. Why do they go out? Because of whatever's in that shield makes them go out. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's paying attention to how you're fighting and what you're saying. Somebody's struggling somewhere, and they want to come up to you and say, how do you do this? How do you live so joy? Every time I see you, you've got a smile on your face. Every time I talk to you, you seem to be cheerful, and it couldn't be good all the time. Well, it isn't good all the time, but the promise is good all the time.
The promise is always good. And it always works because he said, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. You got to guard your faith. Why don't you turn to Romans 14? Not many I've ever known like to go to Romans 14. But let's go there for just a, a moment. Because we said earlier in this sermon that faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. Now, if you're going to do that, you've got to know what you believe. You've got to know what you believe. And in Romans 14 and verse 5, it says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another man esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded where? We go back to the very beginning of this series. If you're going to guard your faith, you've got to guard your mind because that's where you think. What you're going to believe is going to begin with what you're thinking about or what somebody gives you to think about. A lot of people believe in sickness. They will tell you with their mouth what they believe. Oh, I get it every year. Yeah, oh, that flu stuff. Yeah, I go through it every year. I don't know what I take my shots every year, and I still get it, and it just happens all the time. When I got in my car, you know, if it snows, we'll slide off the road. They really believe that. I mean, that's in their heart. I mean, they're convinced, and, you know, I'm counting on it. I'm going to fall off the road. I'm going to get the flu. They believe it. I've called so many tools dumb in my life and stupid. They all became that way. <laughs> in an earlier time in my life, I phoned them. I couldn't find them until a couple of years later under the bench because I confessed they were all stupid and they're all dumb. Now I bought new ones. They all work. If they quit working, trust me, I'd give them to somebody to work on. I'm done with them. But it's just what you say. Now, let every man, he said, be persuaded in his own mind. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Now, many people are taught what they can believe, but they're not fully persuaded that God will do it. I've been teaching my whole saved life. Trying to, best I can. And some people do believe. Some people get it, but not everybody does. And they scratch their heads too many times. Why can't I believe? Why doesn't this work? Well, you know what the truth says. They're just not fully persuaded. There are reasons that people are not fully persuaded. There are hindrances to your faith. That's another sermon. But sometimes it's just because there's a fear factor there. You just... What if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't and this gets chronic or I die? Then what? Well, if you're saved, you have to go to heaven, I guess. You have to go on into heaven and meet the Lord. However, it doesn't have to be like that either. But a lot of people have learned the confession of faith. Well, they've learned how to say what the Bible says, and they hope by confessing something that it will come to pass. That's not the way it works either. But that's the way they see others do. This whole Romans 14 talks about the intimidation factor in the church of some of those that think they have arrived and they have a, advanced a level above others. They can't leave people alone that aren't where they are. Had to keep intimidating them. One man, for example, believes, verse 2, he can eat anything. Another man who is weak eats herbs. Herbs, herbs. Houses, houses, horses, horses, or herbs and herbs. Either way you want to do it. 
but let him that eateth not despise him that eateth. How many of you know that when God brought you to him and saved you, you didn't know a lot? I didn't get up off my knees June 30th, 1968 and stand up a theologian. Whoo! Get out of the way, Luther. Here I am. Didn't do that. I was, as they said before, dumber in a coal bucket. I was happy and glad. I didn't know how dumb I was. I was just happy that I was saved. Then the more I began to read, the more dumb I realized I was spiritually. Everything was new because he makes all things new. And the more you begin to hear, and if you investigate it, the more you're really interested in it, you begin to investigate it to see if that's really what that says or if that's just a preacher preaching. You begin to see this, and there's just quickening, this little thing in your heart that, ding, why it doesn't happen to everybody standing here, I don't know. But with me, wow. I remember when all of us, there's a couple here today, got saved when I did, and I remember we couldn't get together enough to talk about what we'd learned. Everything was new. Everything was rich and everything was full and everything was having a good effect. We were changing our way of living. We once were persuaded that there was not much hope. Now we begin to change our persuasion. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Somebody believed for a car in those days and everybody said, well, I can believe for one too. Somebody believed for this. Well, I can believe for one. We just kept being encouraged by somebody believing. That's the way it works. I'll tell you this morning, God is pleased when his people trust him. When his people are inwardly persuaded and convinced. Remember Abraham in Romans 4.21? He was promised that he was going to be the father of a child at old age. And the Bible said that Abraham was persuaded that God was able. He hadn't done it yet. It was many years later before it actually happened, but he was persuaded. The Bible never mentioned that he ever wavered from that persuasion. He kept believing for this child that God promised. Sarah counted him who had promised Abel. She therefore conceived. You've got to be persuaded. You've got to be convinced that what God said he will do. But your faith is based on your convictions. On your convictions. If you're not persuaded about anything, your faith is rather vague. You just sort of believe what anybody else believes. You're liberal probably because you don't really have any standard. You don't have anything sacred. You just sort of go with the flow. This year we're doing this and next year. You don't believe anything. Because nothing is sure. You're not convinced. How many people are convicted about jobs? How many Christians are convicted about working in a casino? Would you do that for $180,000 a day? Are you for sale? Can you be bought? And then you're not a Christian. $800,000 a week to work the gambling tables. Would you do it? There's a lot of people don't have many convictions about things of that sort. They don't have any problem with doing things that they shouldn't do because it's all about money. Back in Romans 14, do you believe in a Sabbath day? Seventh-day Adventists do, and I'm sure some other groups do. They believe that the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, the seventh day, is a holy day, and they try to go by the law to do that. 
because they figure that's what the law is. Well, the law also says you've got to go to Jerusalem three times a year, all the men do. I haven't seen any of them go. If you're going to practice it, practice all of it. So we worship the Lord's Day as a Sunday. Are you free to work on Sunday? Now, some would say, I don't think so. Are you free to eat out on Sunday and have somebody work for you and pay them for your meal and for their service? Are you free? Can you wash your car on Sunday? What if your neighbor next door was a new Christian and he thought it was a sin to wash your car on Sunday? Would you wash it? I wouldn't. I'd talk to him. I'd teach him a little bit. Not to make him like me, God forbid, but to open his eyes to see something better. Our conviction. What are we convicted of? Are we convicted of anything that does not glorify God? Some people are convicted about watching ball games on Sunday. Can't watch ball games on Sunday because it's the Lord's day and it's just to keep it holy. Well, I have no problem with that kind of conviction. I don't think the Bible in the New Testament says it has to be like that. But if a person has that kind of feelings about what he should do as a Christian on that day, then do it. A lot of the early churches in history were like that. On Sunday, you met, you were in church, you with your family all day long. A lot of them didn't cook their food because they did it on Saturday. But see, I don't know that we have to do that. But it all comes back to let every man be persuaded in his own mind. If I'm around you and you say, well, I can do all that, do it. But don't you lose a victory because one day you see me washing my car on Sunday or something else. Because I'm not bound by your convictions. And you're not bound by mine. There's nobody in this church to be master over anybody else or tell anybody else how you're supposed to do anything. Whether you pump your own gas, box mix your own cakes, or have your babies at home, there are no rules regarding anything like that. That's between you and the Lord, or birth control. That's between you and God and your convictions. Where do you get those convictions? You read it. And sometimes you read things, it doesn't exactly say that, but the way it comes to you is that there's some things in your life, even though it didn't say it specifically, there's things in your life that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do like you've been doing. You begin to refine some of the areas of your life that could stand a little more holiness or piety. And you don't hold anybody else to that. Like I've said how many times, don't believe anything i said because I've said it. You search the Scriptures and see what it says to you. Isn't that the way you're supposed to do it? The faith you have comes from hearing Brother Tom. No, faith comes by hearing what? The Word of God. What if I'm not speaking the Word of God? Then your faith you have probably be in me. Oh, he's such a wonderful man. We've got to follow him. Hogwash. You follow Jesus. You follow him and you trust him. Well, I want to close. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Somebody once asked me, can a Christian belong to a union? Well, that's between the Christian and the Lord. Well, the union commands him to strike and protest and carry a sign. He'll have to work on that. If I preach that he shouldn't do that, then he'll have to sit down and check it out and see what he believes. Because I'm not going to change my word for that. I'm not going to alter the word of God for it. Folks, let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Unless you try to make somebody else like you, Romans 14, it ends by saying, Hast thou faith? 
have it to yourself before God. Happy is every man that condemneth not himself in that which he allows. That's why there's some things that we do, we just don't do it around other people. It's not that it's a sin. You're free to do it. But they would probably balk at it. And anytime I'm around a new Christian, I'm very careful about things. Because I don't know what everybody believes who's new in the Lord. But if they come to my house and I'm washing my car on Sunday and they turn around and leave, I, I can't help that. Tell you the truth, I seldom wash my car anymore. <laughs> Just haul it over here on the side of the road and they do it better than I could do it. But anyway, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19, I want to read this from a different translation. It says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Let me say two things about that, and we'll close. Having faith and a good conscience. Is your conscience clear about the way you live? I'm asking you young folks, you youngsters, you teens, tweens, and mamas and daddies and grandmamas and granddaddies and singles. Is your conscience clear about the way you live, about the way you talk, what you did yesterday? How you dealt with things in your life the last week? The things you want to do, your desires and urges. Does your conscience ever come in there and say, uh, 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 you can't do that? Everybody has a conscience. People without the word of God have a conscience. Remember Brother Kugler when he went to the Fayus over in Indonesia and one day one of them stole something of his? Tell you about a conscience, though these people don't even know who the Lord Jesus is. When they stole it, they hid it. Why? Why did they hide it? Because they knew it was wrong. They knew it wasn't theirs. They didn't want somebody to find it. Besides, if somebody found it, they might get hurt. Your conscience. He who is without a fault, without sin among you, cast the first stone. And they dropped their rocks, dropped them on the ground, and they all walked away being condemned by their own conscience. If we don't have one, we won't have convictions. If we don't have convictions, then we really don't believe anything for sure. It's when you start believing something, your convictions, that's when people start separating themselves from you. I don't vote. I'm not in politics. Politics has no place in any church. The kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of this world. I live in this world, but I'm a citizen of another kingdom. My mission is to make disciples, not presidents. I pray for them. But the moment you get a conviction, like at time I was in that church, I'll never forget this. Graduation ceremony in homeschool down in Louisiana many years ago. Two kids in the class, a boy and a girl, most popular. Boy, most popular girl, most handsome girl, most, you know. And I'm the keynote speaker. <laughs> I'm the graduation speaker. And I'm standing beside a flag, and they have saluted it. And now let us turn our attention to the flag and salute it. It was a Christian, it was a church flag or something. I couldn't tell all, you know, the hanger, you can't tell what it is. I can't do that. My allegiance, my commitment has already been made to the Lord. I did that a long, long time ago. I have respect 
for the laws of the land and everything else. But my commitment is to God. A flag has no conscience. A flag represents a nation. But this varies. There's 365 million different ideas. So I couldn't do it. Well, they're sitting there saluting the flag, and I'm looking at them, and they're all looking up there. I thought they were going to look at the flag, but they were looking at me, and I'm standing there. I didn't know the words, suit the flag. And they went to the other one over there, and I just stood there, and they had their hand on the hearts, whatever you do. And I never got to go back. You know why? Now listen, probably wasn't because of that. Probably preached too long. But you know what? If I'm rejected because of my convictions, so be it. I'm not against anybody. I'm not. I'm for everybody, as far as I can tell. My landlord one day wanted me to sign a petition against people in the neighborhood. And once you sign it, we've got to get rid of it. Just sign right here. I said, I can't do it. Why not? Well, I couldn't say my religion doesn't allow that because this is not about my religion. This is about what I believe, not what we believe. It's what I believe. And I said, well, I don't believe I can in good conscience sign that because that's not the way I believe you deal with it. You ever have that look, somebody looking at you that really discovered they don't like you? <laughs> now, he did. I'm sure he did. But you get the feeling that you don't they look at you like, all right. Well, thanks anyway. In the country, they never forget it. Never forget it. Are you willing to suffer persecution for your convictions? Are you? Are you ready for your name to be cast out as ugly and evil because of what you believe? Have you ever lost friends because of your faith? Have you ever taken a stand because of your God-honoring convictions and lost friends over it? Have you? It'll happen. The Bible says you'll be hated. See, we are a people who are called believers. We all believe something. I don't know that everybody believes the same thing, but if everybody would go in this word and see what it says, it would be like till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, and on and on and on. We could be like that. But we have to have a conviction about it. Therefore, if we're going to guard our faith and have it intact so that it can appropriate for us the provisions that God has given us, then we have to be convicted of the honesty, the sincerity, and the truth of it. And when we are, we'll find that though we struggle, we win. Do you hear the song when the struggles you're facing are slowly replacing your hope with despair? And the process is long and the sermon is long through the night. See, Peter said, think it not strange concerning what you're going to go through. You're going to believe something. Jesus said, you're going to be hated because you're my disciples. You're following me. In a word this morning, guard your faith. Count it as precious. Make it a treasure. And grow in it. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning that you will deliver us from anything that is in opposition to you, any way that is wrong, 
everything that we've got twisted, we'll ask you to forgive us, to make our paths straight, give us clear minds and clean hearts, to have simple childlike trust in you that if you said you will do it, then we just count on you to do it. Grant us, O Lord, the peace that passes understanding, that settles in our hearts, as Paul wrote, because we believe. To have joy and peace, to have goodness and mercy follow us because we desire to be faithful. Father, there are some folks here today that need to get this word in their heart. I pray that you would bless the deepness of this word, that it would take roots, that it would grow and thrive there and bring forth new things. I ask you, dear God, in Jesus' name, to minister to us that the words that you have spoken this morning would find a lodging place and a home in the hearts of all of us here and never leave. My prayer, O Lord, is that when the day comes and the trumpet sounds, that we will be ready to go and that you will say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. Though I can't see you with my eyes, deep in my heart, your presence I find. Lord, I believe in you. And I'll keep my trust in you Let the whole world say what they may No one can take this joy away Lord, I believe Lord, I believe believe in you always believe in you though I can't see you with my eyes deep in my heart your presence I find Lord I believe in you and I'll keep my trust Let the whole world say what they may No one can take this joy away Lord, I believe Yes Oh Lord, I believe One more time Lord, I believe in you I'll always believe in you And though I can't see you with my eyes Deep in my heart, your presence I find Lord, I believe in you I'll keep my trust 
And I'll keep my trust in you Let the whole world say what they may No one can take this joy away Lord, I believe Oh Lord, I believe I believe Oh Lord, I believe I believe Lord, I believe Oh, let the whole world Let the whole world Say what they may No one can take This joy away Lord, I believe Yes, Lord, I believe Thank you.